Mothers Facing Extreme Poverty is a topic that comes up very often in conversation. Today, I am joined by Marisol Rodriguez, author of Beyond Her Yes, to talk all about generational poverty. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. Welcome back. Uh, we are getting into the, the holiday season almost. I got something special coming up for year in review and Christmas special this year. Um, but before we get to that, we are not quite in Christmas quite yet. And today we are talking all about poverty. This is something that comes up in conversation very frequently, um, as I have experienced and many other people have experienced. And often, often it, it's something that initially gets kind of thrown out somewhat flippantly. And I think that it baits pro-lifers into one of the two major mistakes that we so often talk about here on the show, the two mistakes we make um, being refuting or resolving. Um, one, the former refuting being, um, a mistake in principle and the latter resolving being a mistake that we're making in timing. And so what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, with regards to refuting, we don't really want to respond to any justification in favor of abortion simply by refuting. No, that's a dumb reason to support abortion. That's a bad logic, flawed logic, whatever. I'm not going to tell you that straight up because, there's a lot that informs people's worldview and and why they have settled upon that justification. And to say, we live in a first world country. If people in developing nations can, can have babies, then we here in North America can certainly have babies. We're so much better off. How dare you suggest that um, abortion would be appropriate for mothers um, navigating challenging pregnancies through poverty? We don't want to refute because that's going to shut down the conversation right away. That's not going to hear them out. That's not going to open up an opportunity for dialogue. It might be correct. I'm not saying that refutation is incorrect. What I'm saying is that uh, refutation almost always, almost universally is ineffective because if we refute people out of hand, then we're not going to... Um, able to have a very long conversation very frequently. Um, very often, they're a matter of, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand poverty. You don't understand what moms are facing. Push a rope, do whatever, and go fly a kite. I'm on my way. And as we talk about so often, what happens if you and I are not effective ambassadors? If if you and I aren't able to cultivate a breakthrough and, and have a meaningful interaction and ultimately change somebody's heart and mind on the issue of abortion, you and I aren't the ones who lose out. You and I aren't the ones who are impacted negatively any more than we're the ones impacted positively. It's preborn children who rely on us to be effective. And so we, we can't just be right. We can't just be correct in our response and our analysis. We have to be effective. And so we're not going to refute. What we're going to get into today, I want to offer as a clarification that we're not going to resolve. Today, in the interview that I have with Marisol Rodriguez, author of Be uh, Beyond Her Yes, um, is that while we need to address the generational poverty that mothers and fathers are so often facing, we can't resolve it yet. And I feel like often we are tempted to fall into that mistake as well with a matter of timing, that when people approach us with a crisis that they're facing, we desperately want to fix their problems. We want to solve everything that they're going through. And we must do that. We must do that eventually. But as we're going to get into in my conversation with uh, Marisol, we are not able to do that right away because if we say, well, I, I can fix your problems, I can address your poverty, I can address this problem, then often they're going to end up coming back over and over and over again every time they encounter a new problem. And not only that, we have to recognize that it is literally impossible to make pregnancy easier and more convenient than how easy and convenient abortion is perceived to be by so many in our culture, right? This is why education must uh, be the, the front runner when it comes to cultural transformation. Yes, we need to have the infrastructure to be able to financially partner and support and, and care for these moms and families going through challenging pregnancies. However, 
if they don't actually believe that abortion directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being worthy of the same human rights, dignity, and protection that you and I are, then why would you ever navigate pregnancy? It is impossible to make it easier than how easy abortion is perceived to be. And so before we get into resolving either the needs of the moment or as Marisol and I get into the needs of her life, we must educate moms and dads facing challenging pregnancies, whether imminently or whether sometime in the future, we must educate them. And so what are we going to do? What we're going to do rather than refuting or resolving is going to meet them where they're at. We are going to find common ground, make an analogy, and ask a question to get towards a conversation about the humanity. I'm going to say something to the effect of, you know, you and I agree that poverty is a very real problem, that a ton of people in Canada and around the world are facing, that it demands a solution. Imagine with me that the mother of a born child were faced with tragic poverty. Maybe maybe she's a single mom already. She has limited income and she loses her job. And she knows that she'll no longer be able to provide for herself, for her born children. How could we possibly force her to carry through with pregnancy and have just another mouth to feed? Would we ever suggest that she kills one of her born children to cope with that crisis she's dealing with? Certainly not. If not a born child, why a pre-born child? That question pivots us to well, they're different. A born child is independent. A born child is conscious. A born child, blah, blah, um, X, Y, Z. I shouldn't say blah, 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 X, Y, Z. Um, and at that point, we go into the human rights argument. Well, could you and I agree that all humans should get human rights? Yes. And if something is growing, even from one cell to two cells to four cells, couldn't we agree that it must be alive? Well, yes. If that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living member of the human family? Yes. Doesn't that make abortion something that directly and intentionally ends the life of a living member of the human family a human rights violation? Yes. We, If necessary, we get into age-based discrimination. Well, it's different. Technically, they're human, but they're not quite like you and I. Why does that difference exist? Why aren't they conscious? Why aren't they this? Why aren't they that? Because of how old they are and how is discriminating human rights based on how old we are any better than discriminating human rights based on any other whether it be skin color, ethnicity, gender, or any other factor, how's that any better? That gets us to, Lord willing, um, somebody who is pro-life. And now is when we talk about what we do. Now that we've convinced somebody that abortion is a human rights violation, now we start problem solving. Now we get into what in many ways is the far more complicated question as to how do we actually help these mothers once we agree that we cannot be helping them by killing their children. And that's where our book today, that's where our author today comes in, uh, Maricel Mal Maldonado um, Rodriguez. Uh, Maricel Rodriguez is the author of Beyond Her Yes. She is the co-founder and executive director of Renew Life Center um, in America. And she's going to join me for a really cool conversation about what we can and ought to be doing once we've changed people's minds on abortion to ensure they have the support they need to navigate whatever they're going through. With that said, I have two copies of her book. Usually I do the giveaway um, component at the end, but I'm realizing that many of you, um, not pointing any fingers or staring at anyone too blatantly, many of you tune out before I get to the contest giveaway. And so we have a contest giveaway. I'm going to give that um, right up front. I have two copies of Marisol's book, Beyond Her Yes. Um, what you got to do is going to be the same thing as usual. You got to uh, register and subscribe to our newsletter. Um, go to the website, www.prolifeguys.com. You got to sign up for our newsletter. Um, you got to be subscribed to our YouTube channel. And there will be a contest with info um, with the newsletter that goes out this coming Friday at the time of posting. And so stay tuned for that. Um, I know that we had a contest last week with um, Stephanie Gray Connor's book, um, um, conceived by science, um, talking about in vitro fertilization with Laura Clausen. Um, these books are going to be going out similarly. I'll ship them to you. They can be a good stocking stuffer, or you can just enjoy them yourself, whatever you prefer. Um, without any further ado, and with that context in mind, here's my conversation with Marisol Rodriguez, author of Beyond Her Yes. Yes. 
All right, Marisol, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I am really looking forward to our conversation because the book that you put together, Beyond Her Yes, I've got two copies of them, um, is incredible. And, and I'm not just saying that to pump your tires. Um, yeah. And we're going to get into the meat and potatoes in this um, in a couple minutes here. But I, I was wondering, I, I think often of a, a great friend and mentor of mine being Scott Klusendorf, a, an incredible American mm. apologist in the pro-life yeah. movement. He talks about how nobody just randomly joins the pro-life movement. Nobody just sees a we're hiring kind of sign and like, oh, well, I have nothing better to do. Why don't I go work for that organization kind of thing? He he describes it more as like a summoning into the pro-life movement that everyone's journey is a little bit different. And Mm. I was wondering to kick us off, if you would be willing to share a little bit of your journey into being the co-founder of Renew Pregnancy Support and and the ministry that that you are helping to lead right now, what did did your journey look like? Wow, that's a great question. And I love that he called it a summoning because that's really what it is. And um, so, wow, what a story it is. So, you know, I I had just um, had a baby and um, had a couple of uh, 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 baby showers. So I was so blessed that I was given so many things for the baby. Like I had a duplicate child uh, child seat, duplicate strollers, duplicate this. And um, I was about to return all this stuff to back in the day, it was babies or us. Um, and then something, it must've been the Holy Spirit said to me, you know what? Why return this stuff to get more stuff? Why don't you just donate it to some women who could use it? So I remembered that in the back of my church bulletin, I saw that my church supported a pregnancy resource center. And I said, well, you know what? The stuff is going there. So I packed everything up and I go to this pregnancy resource center to donate this stuff. Now, mind you, I'll be honest that at that time, I was like many other Christians who, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I didn't really know where I stood on the pro-life movement. You know, and even in my book, and not just the pro-life movement, but the pro-life cause, right? The in my book, I talk about where I considered an abortion um, with my third pregnancy. So even as a Christian woman attending church, you could be in such a deep, dark state that the unthinkable becomes thinkable. And um, so I wasn't about to volunteer for a pro-life movement when I didn't have a full pro-life view myself, right? So I just go to drop off the stuff and the the manager there, um, she just said to me, she goes, Hey, do you speak Spanish? And I said, yes, I do. And she says, well, we're in desperate need of, uh, Spanish speaking volunteers. And in my mind, I, 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 in my mind, I said, fat chance, like fat chance. I would get involved in something so controversial, so heavy, and, and so uncomfortable for me, having been in that position, right? Um, so I put her little volunteer thing in my pocket, and I said, there's no way I'm doing that. But let me tell you, Cam, for the next few weeks, the Lord hammered me with the pro-life message. I couldn't turn on the radio without hearing Dr. Dobson talking about pro-life. My pastor, it's like I couldn't escape it. And it, it became so obvious that God wanted me to go back there and figure things out. And I became 100% convinced about the pro-life cause volunteering at the center. That is so so cool. So sitting there, I was like, I don't even know if I believe all of this. I don't even know if I do. But guess what? Um, Like they say, the proof is in the pudding. I sat there across from woman after woman after woman sharing her post-abortive crisis you know, and that's when it became real to me that this isn't good for anybody at any time, you know, and, um, and then of course, watching the videos and so forth. So I learned to become pro-life, but see, I had a first yes, say yes to the summoning that you're talking about. I was summoned there, but, and you know what? I thought, you know, I'll do this for a little bit just to get God off my back. It's been 22 years. You know, and it turned into a passion that um, you could tell in my book how passionate I am about this cause. Yeah, absolutely. And and before we dive into that, one one more kind of mining question in that, if, if I can ask. So um, I, I feel like a lot of people have something similar to that of, of okay, well, I'll, I'll dedicate a little baby bit of my time here and just yeah. kind of get my toes wet and that'll satisfy the the ask, as it were. And then for a lot of people... 
whether it's a, a profound change that, you know what, I go from volunteering once a month to um, becoming full time or whether it's more of a gradual progression into, OK, well, I guess that I could come in Tuesday afternoon as well. Or, oh, we're really busy this coming weekend. OK, I'm, I'm just finding myself here more and more frequently, I guess I might as well really take this to prayer and see if there's a, whether it's a career change or whether it's a, um, a bigger investment for yourself. What was there any kind of like a defining moment of, okay, this can't, I, and I, I know that the word hobby isn't, isn't a fair word, but I know mm -hmm, that for mm -hmm. some people it, it kind of transcends that, you know what, I do this in my spare time to know I need to start moving other things out of the way and, and rising on my priority list. Mm -hmm. Was there an experience or a moment that really catalyzed that for you to go from that kind of um, volunteer into now not only being an executive director, but but a co-founder of an entire ministry? Yeah. You know, I, I think there's so many of those for me, at least, you know, like the, I remember I used to volunteer on Saturday mornings because that's when my husband was home and he could watch our baby. And um, I remember coming home so on fire after volunteering my three hours at the center because I was seeing God at work. I was seeing women come in desperate and hopeless and considering to, you know, have an abortion to leaving hugging me and kissing me and thanking God and saying, you're, you're an angel, you're an answer to prayer, you know, all of this. And I used to go home, I used to tell my husband, I can't believe I get to go and do this for free, you know, because I get to go, like, you should charge people to volunteer at the pregnancy center. It's such an, it's such a life-giving, uplifting experience, not just for that woman, but for us as volunteers as well. I say that I get to see what my pastor preaches about on Sunday. I get to see it come true during the week in these one-on-one -on -one encounters with these women. I mean, it is an incredible experience to walk somebody from darkness to light. And of course, we're dependent on the Lord to do that. It's not us. I, I'm not saving any babies. I'm just showing up. And the Lord is using me to do that, you know, and it's, it's remarkable. And it's remarkable when they come in with their babies in hand, or they send you pictures. I'm still in touch with women who, who've given birth to babies, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I get to see these, these babies grow. So, um, you know, I don't think it was one big bam of a moment, but in my spirit and in my heart, I felt God's pleasure when I was there. I felt his pleasure when I was doing this. And, and you know what? When we bring God pleasure, it's pleasure for us as well. So something that I thought was dark and dreary, it just became, um, I, I have to say, in, in some way, I, I kind of feel selfish about it. I think I get more out of it sometimes than the people I'm serving, you know, because it's fulfilling my life. And I see God at work. And, and it's amazing, you know? It's not always easy. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy peasy. But... It's absolutely fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God for that. And and so cool that, that, yeah, when you've got that tangible touch point to be able to witness to moms and dads and families, to be able to help them by being a bit of a light in darkness. And and as we'll get into um, by talking about the book of, of the darkness of poverty that so many people mm. are encountering, I'm sure more and more in recent years, as many are, are struggling to keep up with, not only as you really do a, a beautiful job in the book of differentiating of kind of the, the temporary or the emergency poverty or the generational poverty that that many people in our world are are struggling with and maybe maybe to speak into that change of of so you're volunteering you're getting more and more involved with the pregnancy care center and you're having these beautiful wonderful days where you're able to journey with people and you really get breakthroughs with regards to them choosing life for their children and yet how that gets mingled with, I'm sure, some really difficult situations, whether it's talking with somebody and, and tragically knowing that, okay, they came in here and they said they were going to come back, but then they never came back. I I wonder tragically if this person's going to show up for our, our post-abortive healing uh, ministries or, mm -hmm. or else even dealing maybe with people that are coming in multiple times for multiple different pregnancies yes. in the span of a few years, maybe shed a little bit of light as to your experience um, in that mingling of, of the joys that you're witnessing of some people that are had never known there's light out there. And, and this was almost like a checking the box before they knew that ultimately they'd have to have an abortion mm -hmm. and yet realizing they didn't. And yet balancing that with many of the, as you mentioned, more challenging interactions that you have of, of encountering 
abortion-minded women that that maybe you aren't able to keep connected with your pregnancy care center or else um, people that, that you're finding come back time and time and time again? You know, that was one of my uh, major complaints. When I shifted from volunteer to being the director of the center I was originally volunteering at, um, of course, you get to spend more time there. Now I'm there all the time. So, you know, I get to see more. And what shocked me and disturbed me was like how women kept coming back. So one woman, um, if she's been there before, I pull out her file and it's like this thick because she's been back like, you know, five, six different times. And oftentimes it's a different husband, you know, a different father for the baby. And you know, what's funny is that I grew up in generational poverty with a single mom who had multiple children and, and they had multiple fathers. So that's my lived experience. So the, and I never thought about it. I never thought about it. Like, why that was, you know, but, um, but when I, when, when I would see that I would get frustrated and here I am, here I am judging them, you know, in my Christian mind is like, come on, man, when are you going to get your thing together? You know, when are you going to get your stuff together? Like, why are you doing this? And, and here's the thing that we're not asking the questions, you know, we're, we're making assumptions. So when you start asking women and really diving into the connection of that type of life, and poverty, you see how it's so connected. It opens your eyes. And then instead of you judging her and saying, hey, get your stuff together, you're more saying, wow, I understand. I understand why you feel you need to do these things, you know, because, you know, the truth is if you're uneducated and you're from poverty and you don't have a skill set. And um, when I refer to my mom, we're talking 19, you know, 50s and 60s in Puerto Rico, you know, there weren't many options for her. So you're heavily dependent on a man to provide for your children, right? So what happens when this man ups and leaves, you know, and you have no way to provide? Then the next guy comes along and he makes you all these promises, you know, and you're thinking, wow, maybe this is the one, maybe this is the one that'll stay. And he's not the one that stays. So you end up in this cycle because guess what? You got no other choice but to be dependent. And mind you, this is true today in 2023 in the United States of America. There's still uneducated, unskilled women that are heavily dependent on a man for survival. You know, so unless we come around them and we support them and provide them with what they need, they can't change that behavior. They will never stop doing that until we give them another option. Right. So that's that's one thing there. And when you see the connection between poverty and abortion, oh, my gosh, it's incredible. It's like what you know, you talk. I talk to my sidewalk advocates, friends who are out there in front of abortion clinics and they'll stop a woman and they'll say, so what brings you here today? What drives you to this clinic? It's always I don't have a job. I can't feed the kids I have. Um, I'm about to get evicted. I mean, it's like seven out of 10 times. It's an economic reason while she's walking in there. So yes, we want to save that baby, but we want to transform her life first through Jesus Christ. Right. But then we also want to transform her life economically because then that solves the problem. I mean, help, help with poverty and and you help the pro-life movement. Because that's it, it. It feeds it. The poverty feeds the abortion clinic. You know, um, uh, many times. So um, yeah. So being there and just and look, <laughs> I remember one time a woman walking into my center. It was winter. I mean, the dead of winter. It was snowing. It, we had just had a storm. There's a lot of few inches of snow on the ground. She walked in for a few pregnancy tests for a free pregnancy test wearing flip flops. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. When you're walking in snow with flip-flops, life is hard, you know? And, and, and yeah, how do we wrap our, our arms around her and not just lead her to choose life, but not let her walk out with flip-flops, you know, and also help her provide for herself and for the children that are to come. It's really, um, I, I have to tell you this, if we don't address the poverty that the moms we serve are facing, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that what you shared there is is really the heart of the book and, and the heart of your ministry at Renew Life Center, that, um, that, that this is more than, obviously, as, as the title <laughs> implies, more than just a yes, more than just yeah. a, a single interaction that, okay, you've chosen life for your baby. Here's a, a one-time basket of all the stuff that you're going to need. Go forth and never find yourself in this situation again or anything like that. And I feel like there's there's a bit of a, 
I, I don't even think that misunderstanding or misconception is appropriate. I, I feel like there's a very high degree of ignorance around generational poverty. And, yeah. and I feel like especially in today's day and age, I, I mean, on social media, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, you've got all of these quote unquote self-made billionaires giving financial advice as to how to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and whatnot. And I feel like at times pro-lifers are tempted to say all everything you need is at your fingertips. Why are you still in this situation? Everything yeah. you need is right in front of you. You don't need a college degree. You don't need this. You don't need that. All you need are your hands and your feet. And so you have no excuse for being in this situation. I feel like as you kind of alluded to earlier, that there's a temptation to become impatient at times with yes. um, with these moms. And I wonder if you could shed a little bit more of your light as, as you do so well in the book as to what generational poverty truly means for a lot of people and why this isn't as simple as you know what, Here, here's a, a link to a YouTube channel that's going to coach you through all of your financial woes and you, you just listen to this person um, um, pontificate on, <laughs> on how to manage your finances and then everything is fixed and you're, you're building um, RRSPs and, and retirement plans for yourself <laughs> and everyone in your family kind of thing. Shed a little bit more of a light if, if you'd be willing to on this yes. phenomenon of generational poverty and, and how yeah. big of a problem this is. Yeah, so generational poverty means that you come from a background of poverty for three generations or more. So that means your parents grew up in poverty, your grandparents and your great grandparents. And that's the kind of poverty I come from. I come from generational poverty. So, um, so, and in particularly in my family and in many generational poverty um, families, education lacks a lot. Like I was the first, me and my siblings are the first generation in my mother's line. Um, and I believe maybe in my father's line as well, um, to graduate high school. Okay. So that was huge. That was a huge step. So when you come from poverty like that, you're missing a lot of information or a lot of things that you pick up just by growing up. And let me, let me explain it to you this way. So I, I came out of poverty, praise God, through the help of a, of someone from church, actually, that, that um, helped me get out of poverty. And I was able to raise my children in middle-class environment, okay? When you grow up in a middle-class environment, you are learning just by being in that environment what you need to succeed. You, you're getting the basics for achievement, right? Just watching your dad get, get dressed and go out to work, um, watching um, your parents write, pay the bills, write a check, go to the bank. You're seeing your parents live out life um, make investments, buy a house, buy a car, you're watching this. When you grow up in generational poverty, you don't see any of that. You don't see people writing resumes. You don't see people applying for jobs. You don't see dad coming home excited that he got the promotion. You don't see anybody writing a check. You're disconnected from banking, you know? And, and really when you grow up in poverty, you're an outsider. And although you may be in the same classroom as all the other middle class and maybe wealthy kids, you're still an outsider, right? Because you don't understand how things run. So the world is run by the middle class, right? The, the teachers are middle class. You're, you're, you know, you go to social services, your social workers, middle class. So when you come from a background of poverty, you're stepping into the world of the middle class, yet you have no idea how it operates. You have no idea. You don't, you don't know what the, what the rules of the hidden classes. You don't even have the language of the hidden. You're probably speaking some kind of casual register of English. You are so outside. So, um, and people don't give people in poverty the credit for that. So what people in middle class often do is they assume that people from poverty have the same information they have, see, see the same choices. Now they may have the same choice, but they don't see them. They're able to see the same choices that are available to them, are able to make the same decisions. And the truth is that they don't. They don't see what you see. Um, they're not able to make the same decisions you are. And, um, and, and frankly, if they did, they're afraid, right? They're afraid to take that step because it's so much far out of your comfort zone. So when people say, pull yourself up from the bootstraps, I tell them, you need to have bootstraps to pull yourself up. What happens when you don't have them? And that's what it is. They're missing the bootstraps, you know, and this is what we have to work on. And this is why it takes so long too. it takes a long time to get out of poverty. Yeah. 
And and why it, it's also a and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's also a, a behavior model that's really difficult to modify long term. When when it's a matter yeah. of like even if you come into money, this idea that when, when you think about financial decisions and and especially I mean now um, time of recording here where we're getting into Christmas season and whatnot, and, mm-hmm. and this idea of reward you 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 bring money in and like I, I need a bit of a reward kind of thing and I feel like there yeah. there's a behavior model of those that are being raised in generational poverty when they do have money they're not used to having that money and so it's a matter of I'm going to make a poor decision using this money that has been given to me because I have no limited confidence that I'm going to be in this kind of position again and so yeah. there might be somebody from a middle uh, middle class background that says you know what i my christmas bonus i'm going to invest into blah 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 because i know that i have a paycheck coming on january 15th as well for somebody who might be living paycheck to paycheck and they get that bonus because they're working a construction job or something like that and and they say okay well, i'm going to go celebrate because i have no idea if, when i will ever be able to celebrate again and and it spirals them back down into yeah. a lifestyle of poverty that that this isn't a matter of as soon as as if you give somebody from a, a middle class background a million dollars and you give somebody from generational poverty a million dollars they're going to act differently with it based mm-hmm. on their lived experience right absolutely absolutely you you said it very well and and it's because of what you said they don't know if they're ever going to have this money again Right. So let's, and here's the thing too, which um, I hear it a lot. I hear, well, Marisol, why, why do they have an iPhone 15 and I only have a 10 and why are their kids wearing Nikes or Air Jordans and why, but you know why I tell them this, I'm like, listen, you're a parent, right? You give your children so many things already that you could take that bonus check and you could invest it. But when your children are the have nots, and they're wearing the thrift store sneakers to school while everybody else is wearing. It, like a parent, it gives you great joy to make your children happy. And that's what they're doing. Of course, it's a short-sighted decision. I mean, April is my busiest time of year when I'm trying to talk to my moms. Listen, your tax check is coming. Please don't go on vacation. <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, and you know what they'll tell me? They're like, well, you know, my kids deserve a treat. And I'm like, yes, they do. But you know what? Giving them stability and financial safety is far more important than the sneakers and the phone. But the thing is, is that because they don't believe that financial stability and security is in the cards for them, might as well go and buy them the Air Jordans and the iPhone 15 because you're going to make your kids happy. You're going to be the hero for once. You're going to be the hero. So yes, they do make those poor decisions. But when we teach them, um, that you know more about financial literacy in, in the appropriate way and how they can you know um people in poverty have a very short horizon time span horizon they only see today and paying the bills today and making my kids happy today but what we do at renew life center we extend that horizon out so now they're thinking five years you know if you tell someone in poverty what is your five-year plan five-year plan. Like I'm trying to get together a five-day plan to pay my rent and buy diapers, you know? So we extend that horizon and now they're thinking about the future. Now you're going to think about investing because you're thinking about five years. They don't think five years ahead. It's really a month to month kind of um, thinking, but, um, but they're right. They, they, they do. I have to tell you, they do make some pretty awful financial decisions, but it's based on, you know, their history. Exactly. And, and there's so many yeah. factors that contribute towards it and, and being self-conscious, right? Uh, yeah. Being and not wanting your children to be bullied at school because they are poor kind of thing. And so you're trying to build this facade of you're just like everyone else because yes. we don't want people peering into our, our home life and all that kind of thing. And so, and, and I think that leads perfectly into your ministry at, at Renew mm-hmm. Life Center and how you seek to go beyond just that initial encounter with the mother, with the family, um, mm-hmm. and how you're tr- working and, and doing an incredible job with it of transcending the quote-unquote traditional pregnancy care center, which mm-hmm. may equip somebody with the material resources and maybe a, a few of the kind of... Um, beyond material resource, psychological, emotional support, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But maybe share a little bit about how Renew Life Center has really gone beyond that, of, of not just satisfying the needs of today, but 
setting moms and families up for success so that we're able to break the chain of generational um, poverty and, and other traumas that, that they might be encountering. Yeah. You know, um, I love pregnancy center ministry. And as you know, my, I, I worked, I did that for 12 years, you know, so I in no, I always like to say that I in no way, shape or form and, and putting down or bashing uh, pregnancy centers. They do an amazing job and their work is incredible. What I'm saying is that there's there's more work to be done, but not not by them. I don't think pregnancy centers need to do more work. They do what they do and they do a phenomenal job. What I'm saying and what I'm proposing is for the body of Christ, the church, to rise up, come around pregnancy resource centers and provide the long-term support that this woman needs, right? Because that's the job of the church, right? Discipleship. Let's talk about discipleship, right? So while I was serving, I came to terms about a few things that was what caused the birth of Renew Life Center. One, I, I, my eyes were open to the poverty these women were living and that the bad decisions they were making was based on the poverty. The poverty fueled the bad decisions. So that was the one thing. The next thing I learned was that women have to say yes to that pregnancy more than one time. In my book, I tell the story of a woman who chose life and then five months later was emailing me pretty much saying that she changed her mind, like she was going to change her mind. She can't do this baby by herself. She So you need a woman that is truly um, abortion-minded needs to say yes to that pregnancy month after month after month after month. And we have to be there with her month after month to make sure she keeps saying yes. We need that repeated yes till the end. And then the other thing too is thinking about what is that? Uh, what is the life of that child that we encouraging into the world, right? What is the child gonna? What is that life gonna look like? Because when you when you research poverty, you see that it is children raised in poverty, particularly with a single mother that the teenage girls end up pregnant in high school. Um, I think only 70% of kids in poverty actually graduate high school, something like that. And um, boys are more likely to join gangs. And, um, and, and, and both boys and girls are more likely to do drugs when you grow up in poverty without a dad. So how can we intervene in that? And not only by intervening those awful things, but most importantly, how can we intervene with the gospel? How can we, and that's another study that I found that children that come from a family of a Christian family of faith that grows in poverty has a better outcome, the exact same family in poverty, same income without the Christian faith. So just getting families grounded in Christ, getting moms saved, getting the kids in Sunday school, getting the kids in youth group is going to transform their lives like that, that alone. Now, if you could do that and also help them economically, there you go. I mean, what an incredible future. So we, the church, the body of Christ, not only do we have the opportunity to save lives, you know, extend family trees for generations, but also transform those lives. I mean, why stop at just saving, you know? It's like there's this other step that is incredible. And I see it. I see I see the women at my center come from chronic homelessness, chronic um, joblessness to now you know, making $50,000 in middle in, in, in management positions and, um, and doing well. And yeah, they're not done yet. They're still working their way out of poverty, but the progress happens with the right support and the right guidance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do you find that that's something that, that really empowers churches? Because I, I, I've spoken to a, a number of people who feel very, kind of handcuffed in the realm of pregnancy support because mm-hmm. they say, well, like, I'm not a counselor. I, I have no idea what I would say to somebody to help them to choose life, mm-hmm. but maybe they've got a background in finance. Maybe they've got a background in um, education or management or this or that. And they, and members of this church that can come around a mom and a family can contribute in ways that they didn't see possible. Do you find that that has been somewhat empowering for the church? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like even my own pastor one time told me, Marisol, I want to help. I just don't know how, you know, I think that they don't know how, like you said, I, 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 I'm not a counselor. I'm I'm not going to work in a, a, you know, volunteer the pregnancy center, but, but so here, I love retired people. First of all, (laughs) you know, it's like right now. So how do they help? Let me tell you how they can help. You know, there's so much more besides counseling. There's facilitating workshops. So I already said that growing up in generational poverty means you lack a lot of information that um, that our children grow up with. 
just by being raised in a middle class environment. So we need to facilitate a lot of classes from, you know, our, our most popular classes get is a getting ahead workshop where it helps people move from a poverty mindset to a thriving mindset, right? So we need facilitators for that, financial literacy facilitators. We need um, career coaches and, and people to help write resumes and image workshops. There's so much to do, right? So I have right now, I have retired businessmen, retired finance people that lead the, the financial literacy workshop. I have retired attorneys, you know, that, that help with things. So, and you don't have to be retired. If you have three spare hours, not even if you don't have, even if you don't have three spare hours, I say make three spare hours and change someone's life. And in the same time, change your own because you'll be changed as well, you know? And, um, so there's so much work to do that is not counseling. It's just t and some moms say to me, I work in an urban city, mostly minority. So I'll have this really sweet, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed Caucasian woman say, oh, I'd like to volunteer, but I don't think they can relate to me. And I say, you know what? Just show up and give it a shot. Cause you know what? People relate to love. Okay. People relate to love. So I see incredible relationships being formed by, you know, upper middle-class wealthy women and immigrants or, you know, people from poverty come together and build a bond and a beautiful friendship. And it's not just like, oh, I'm here to help you. No, I'm here to get to know you. I'm here to be your friend. I'm here to walk alongside you. Um, and it's just, it's so beautiful to see how God uses his people you know, to come and, and work alongside others that you would never run into in your life, you know? And, um, and I tell you, everyone tells me they're blessed by these relationships. You know, it's, it's so beautiful. God is good. Amen. Yeah. And, and it, it really helps people contribute in more than just kind of the standard two kind of ways. If, if you've got a very narrow, uh, skill set of counseling or give us your money. And I feel like there's there's so much that the pro-life movement hasn't um, really captured because we, we've neglected to empower people from different walks of life. And, and maybe you've got a construction background, but you've been yes. working for the same company for 15 years and you understand how these companies work and you understand how to manage finances in a family setting or, or those kind of things. I feel like there's such a hunger amongst people to be able to contribute their lived experience and not just yeah. their money or Absolutely. something that is so foreign to them, right? I mean, obviously, yeah. pregnancy care centers, all kinds of ministries need the financial partnership. Mm -hmm. But I think to to really allow somebody to share their experience is also a, a tremendous opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we have recruiters that come in yeah. and teach our, our, our participants, you know, like, you know, what we, you know, from a recruiter perspective, what kind of people they're looking for, what to put on the resume, what words are buzzwords in the industry that get picked up. There's so many little secrets out there and we have it, you know, we even have, you know, people that do, uh, people always say to me, well, what kind of, what do you need Marisol? I'm like, what do you got? I'm sure I could use it, you know? Um, what do you got? We could use it. It's, it's amazing. There's something for everybody to do. And, and for those people who think, well, I don't really have much of a skill. I'm just a stay at home mom. I say to them, well, did you help your 17 year old get his permit or his driver's license? Yeah. Okay. We need that too. You know, well, everything you did with your 17 year old, you know, helping him maybe fill out the FAFSA for him, helping a mom fill out a FAFSA form. So it's like everything we do in our daily life as middle-class folks is a big empty <laughs> hole in the lives of people in poverty. And sometimes it's just basic skills. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting down teaching a mom how to write a check, even though nobody almost writes a check anymore. But, you know, can you imagine a grown woman doesn't know how to write a check? Yeah, that happens. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and so let's talk journey of Renew Life Center of how, mm -hmm. so if, if the math in my head is working this correctly, so you, you were pregnancy care center for 12 years and 10 mm -hmm. years now, you've been the co-founder and, and director, executive director of Renew Life Center, yeah, correct? Exa yep, co-founder and executive director of Renew Life Center. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. And, and so this starts in New Jersey. Are, are you, are you still just working in New Jersey? Are you working in, sorry, Patterson, um, are you expanding to, to partner with more churches and more um, pregnancy care centers to be able to offer this kind yes. of next level support? What, what does the, the ministry look like now in, in the past 10 years that you've been um, yeah. leading the group? 
So, um, so yeah, so we, um, we're partnering with another pregnancy resource center now. Um, we're pretty excited about that because, um, you know, I feel like renew is, is, is like a concept or an idea that, that I hope gets replicated because, um, it's really what other pregnancy centers need. So, um, yeah, so we're partnering with more churches. That's where I like to get our mentors and volunteers from, because, you know, like at, at, at renew life center, what is important to me is what I call friendship evangelism. You know, I don't want to sit and preach at people. I want our mentors to create these one-on-one relationships with our moms where, where the gospel can be shared naturally and in relationship, you know? So, um, so yeah, so we developing more relationships with churches, um, um, developing more relationships with other pregnancy centers so that we could do the same thing there. But, and, you know, of course, like you said before, all of this requires more funding. So renew can only grow as quickly as funding allows us. And, um, yeah, so so we're we're doing what the best we can with what we have, but we're really hoping that God blows the door on this because it's important. You know, it's important for those moms out there that are choosing life. I think it's important that we we honor them with more support and that they're getting now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and so we're going to drop in the show notes below a lot of the links towards the website and how people can get involved financially and also mm-hmm. prayer support. Maybe I'm sure, I hope, a number of people in the audience listening to this episode are going to be nodding along saying, this is something that we need. We we need this Mm -hmm. here in my community. And whether that's in America, whether that's in Canada, we have listeners from around the world. Mm -hmm. Imagine whether it's a church, whether it's a pregnancy care center wanted to implement a similar kind of model. Like you said, you'd love to see this be a bit of a turnkey template that mm-hmm. groups mm-hmm. are taking on around. What does that look like? If if somebody were to reach out to you, would there be programming that they could kind of come alongside and see what you guys are up to? Absolutely. What, what could you offer to, to help grow this ministry in other areas around the world as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely offer, you know, to, to definitely support and, and lead people in doing this. And there's curriculum out there that we use. We didn't write it. We don't own it. It's available to everybody. But what I find that is really workful, really helpful is this getting ahead workshop. So we have getting ahead workshop, a jobs for life workshop and financial literacy workshops that you can purchase. And, um, and you need a, someone to get trained as a facilitators and you get to recruit a few mentors. And I really think that's, you know, start small, you know, start with just that, start with a getting ahead workshop, a facilitator, a co-facilitator, a couple of mentors to sit in and help and guide these women through it. Uh, a 10 week journey of, of studying poverty. Like what is poverty like? Why are you stuck? You see a lot of people in poverty don't even know they're poor because when you're in the same situation as everybody around you, maybe you're a little better off and it takes them to go through this workshop to really understand how bad things are, you know, for them, they need to get their eyes open. So as they go through this exploration process, they, they see, you know, and they start thinking, learning what, mind shifts they need to make what behavior changes they need to make to for for life to change so so yeah we are more than happy renew life center is more than happy to show you what we're doing so that you can do the same elsewhere um it's not that hard you know i i want to encourage people it's not that hard and another thing i'd say is some people say yeah i'd like to do that but you know we're going to need about a hundred thousand dollars to do that i'm like yeah no you don't need a hundred thousand dollars to do that, you know. Uh, raise a thousand bucks, and and I'll get you going, you know, in, in the right direction with that. Exactly, and especially for starting out, right? That that scaling yeah. up and sure, if, if you want to serve every pregnant mother in a, a million person city, right. sure, you you might need a tremendous amount of money, but it there's no sense in getting discouraged and becoming despondent just because we can't do everything right now. Almost everything, almost everything, has to start small before it gets yeah. big. And, and if that's, you know, being able to offer for, for a client that comes in, a mom that comes in and so like, boom, I, you are the exact person that the one person that we have that can help somebody out, they can help you out. Okay. Well, we helped one person this month, build your team slowly, build your team as you can and, yeah. and trust that, that, that it will be provided for. Yeah. Um, and and I guess as uh, so we're going to close by talking just a little bit about the book. But I, mm-hmm. I guess uh, a question I'd love to ask, and and you you may have already answered this, but uh, 
if in this question of I, I would hope, I, I have a hard time thinking that anybody who listens to this, who reads the book, would say, oh, we don't need more of that. Uh, I, I think that anybody who, who sees this, who hears this, would be like, yes, absolutely, we need more of this. And I, I guess kind of the, not a hard-hitting question, but, but maybe the gut-check question for us as pro-lifers is, where is the bottleneck? Why isn't more of this happening already? Is this mm-hmm. a lack of primarily a lack of understanding around generational poverty? Is this a lack of funding to be able to grow ministries that there's appetite and understanding, but there just is an infrastructure? Where is the bottleneck between where we are yeah. now and having centers like this all the way around the world? That, that's a very good question. And I think one of the bottlenecks is that there's a misconception that a, the Pregnancy Resource Center is an all-encompass help center for mm. women. Right. And having run one and having also worked at others as well, um, they do a lot of they, they do a lot. They offer a lot, but they all their mission is is to save lives. Right. They have a mission. Their mission isn't to address poverty and they do address it by helping with diapers and helping with. But they do address it. But it's not to go deep into the root causes to help women come out of it, you know? So I think that the misconception, number one, and I hear that all the time because when I share with somebody that I have a pregnant mom that, that you know, has a need, they'll say to me, well, doesn't the pregnancy center do that? Doesn't the pregnancy center? I hear that all the time. Well, doesn't the pregnancy center cover that? I'm like, no, they don't. They're not housing, you know? So, um, and no, they're, they're not transportation, you know? So they think that this pregnancy center is going to solve, is an all-encompassed solution for women. That's, the, that's a big misconception right there. And I think that, um, so people like, yeah, they, they got it. The, it's all covered. You know, and, and, and really it isn't. And I know pregnancy centers are doing more and more, but if, as they do more and more, they need more and more funding. Right. So, um, you know, so I think the bottleneck is in the misconception of that. And also another misconception that we talked about earlier as well is that people think that people are in poverty just because they, they choose not to do the right thing. You know, they choose to make bad choices and and they choose. And and so there's misconceptions around that, too. Listen, I've met many very poor, lazy people. Right. But I've met way more very hardworking people who are out there slugging it out, you know, but still not getting traction and still not getting out of poverty. So so I think those are the bottlenecks there. And also another bottleneck I'll say is the church kind of not knowing what to do. You know, even when a church says, oh, we want to get more involved in the pro-life thing. Well, men are like, well, I'm not going to go to a pregnancy center. That's women's stuff. Right. And um, and other people are like, well, yeah, I don't like counseling. That's not my thing. Those aren't the only two things uh, that that they need. You know, so, you know, I love men volunteers because I say the women need to be exposed to good, healthy, godly men. So they know what to choose next time, you know, so they know what kind of man to look for. So in the, in the ministry like Renew Life Center, where you need facilitators, financial coach, people writing resumes, we do mock interviews. We can incorporate men, moms, retirees. We could incorporate a whole lot of people into that. And it's kind of like this village that gets formed around her, this village of support that um, changes lives forever. And And what an incredible evangelistic opportunity that is as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to throw you a curveball here because okay. something you just said there um, <laughs> sparked something with me, obviously being the, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Yeah. Talk about men, and, and you've alluded obviously in a number mm-hmm. of ways. Like Men are a huge part of this problem and, and how much of generational poverty and how much of the poverty that these moms are experiencing is because of a lack of leadership from men in their yeah. lives and, and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious... Do you guys have ministry on drawing uh, men from churches to help guide the men who are connected with the moms Mm -hmm. coming into the pregnancy care centers? That obviously there's probably a disproportionate number of people coming Mm -hmm. into a pregnancy care center which don't have stable relationships with fellows. But I'm sure that at least some of the time there are men coming in as well who don't know Mm -hmm. how to be the dads that they want to be, how to be the husbands, how to be the the men in the lives of their their, um, significant others and children that they should be. What are your thoughts on, on men just teaching other people how to be men, teaching other men how to be men, I guess. Yeah, no, that's absolutely, that's true. And, and, you know, I'm sure I, I, I have four boys that I, um, four sons and, um, 
it's tough being a guy nowadays. I mean, men are, you know, women, it, 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 it seems to be a woman's world nowadays and men are continuously berated, put down and, and you're mansplaining and it's, it's tough to be a man nowadays. And I think it was tough before. I think that men in poverty um, have it tough because a lot of times they're not raised with a father. So what is a father? I don't know. I've never had a dad. How do I be a dad? So it's very important to have men present for them also. And here's what I would say to men, um, since we're on the pro-life guys podcast, um, we need men in the pro-life ministry, um, and, and, and like pregnancy centers and also like renew life center as well. We need men, um, for many reasons, but this is what I would have to say is that you guys have to be very patient because, Working with men is harder than working with women, I've noticed. So um, I feel bad when I get a guy, a man volunteer come in and then no guy shows up for like months. You know what I mean? Because it's really hard to get the men in. They don't, it's really hard. It's hard. The women are way easier. So it really takes a lot of perseverance and patience for you to go and say, you know what? If you feel in your heart that the Lord is calling you to do that, to go there and sit week after week after week and wait for the Lord to send them because they're coming you know, and, um, and, and then build the relationship with, with men to do that. So I think that, um, there's definitely a very important role for men, both in serving, even with the women, like I said, we need them exposed to good, healthy, godly men so they could see what that looks like, you know, and then also for them. And even if their fathers don't come in, those women have sons. Some of those sons are teenagers, you know, and they could use like a dad, you know, to uh, figure to take them to a baseball game or something. So we really, I, I have to tell you, there's not a lack of things to do. If you make yourself available, you make yourself available. You say, Lord, here I am. Send me. There's, there, there's something for you. There's something Amen. for you. Absolutely. Absolutely, Marcel. And so th this is a, a very small snapshot of what is encapsulated in your book, yes. uh, Beyond Her Yes. And, mm -hmm. and maybe let, let's end on this note of how this book came together and how people can get a copy of this book and, and really, um, yeah, where, where people can learn even more about what we've tried to um, take a snapshot of today. Yeah. Well, you know, the book came about because I, I did a... a Churches ask me to go speak sometimes, you know, Sanctity of Human Life Month or whatever. And I did a radio interview one time. And, and every time I do something like that and I'm done, afterwards, people say to me, you know, Marisol, you have to write about that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not an author. No, no, thank you. You know, but um, in the first five years that I was that I started Renew Life Center, I just kept hearing people say, you got to write about that. You got to write about that. And then one day my husband says, uh, Marisol. I think God is telling you that you have to write about that. So Marisol sat down and wrote about it. So that's why the book came around. I would have never done it if it wasn't for the persistence of, um, of people around me. And um, they can get a copy uh, at any bookstore, a Christian bookstore online. The easiest way to get it is on Amazon.com. You know, you could get Beyond Her Yes um, out there. And um, I, I hope you buy it. I hope you read it. And I, and I hope more than anything that you do something. That when you finish reading the book, you put it down and you get up and you do something in this area because you will bless generations to come. You will bless yourself. <laughs> you will be blessed. Your family will be blessed and, um, and the world will be a better place. Amen. Amen. I, I can't end mm -hmm. on anything better than that. And so Marisol, thank you so, so much for your incredible ministry. Thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me today. And thank you for putting together this fantastic resource. We got two to give away and we'll drop um, in the show notes below um, how people can get a hand on their copy as well. So thank you so, mm -hmm. so much for your time. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right, folks, that is my conversation with Marisol Rodriguez, um, author of Beyond Her Yes, um, which is an incredible resource. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It was very enjoyable. I read it um, while I was flying out to Saskatchewan. Um, it was a super quick read. I read it in probably, I don't know, three, four hours maybe. Uh, we were flying out to Saskatoon to do some work with the pro-life group out there and give some talks, which went really well. Um, and so I highly recommend them. And so sign up for our newsletter stay tuned on there you also got to be a youtube subscriber help us grow the youtube channel so that we get um people so that it makes my job easier getting guests come on there's been an awful lot of guests coming up here i get 
there's been a bit of a, a tale of two seasons with regards to this year where there's like a million episodes where all you ever heard was me. Um, and now that I have a little bit more time on my hands, I'm loading up on guests. Um, expect a bit more of a balance coming in the new year. Um, kind of not necessarily going back and forth always between solo episodes and guest episodes, um, but we'll have a, a greater mix and hopefully a little bit more apologetics mixed in as well. I know, again, that we've been focusing on a lot of external groups. Um and trying to shine a bit of a spotlight on them, which has been cool. But I hope that you understand and appreciate the beginning, how this fits into the conversation about abortion. Um, absolutely knowing these um, elements of how to offer support and how to resolve some of these situations that moms and dads are faced with comes at the end of our conversation. It's not at the beginning. We don't resolve. We don't refute. We resolve after we have helped somebody appreciate and understand that abortion is a human rights violation and not an appropriate solution to a challenging pregnancy. I hope that makes sense. If you have questions, if you have ideas for it, whether it be guests, whether it be areas of focus for um, this episode, let me know. Uh, hit me up at email at prolifeguys.com. You can hit me up there um, or comment on the video or something like that. I try to keep a good eye on YouTube and others. And so messages there, messages on social media. Um, I will be trying to do some more lives over um, the Christmas season as well. So, so stay tuned to that. Thanks a ton for tuning in. And if you made it all the way to the end, um, an extra pat on the back for you, I suppose. I wish there was more that I could offer. I've been trying to offer books um, for people who make it to the end, but there aren't enough people that make it to the end anyways. So if you're still here, you're fantastic. Thanks a ton. Uh, may God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Mm -hmm.